Good morning. Happy New Year. Been so good this year already, right? I got quiet. God is good and all the time. My name is John, and if you're new here, thank you for being here today. And I pray that you've already been blessed as I have to just enter in the presence of God and worship Yahweh, our provider. I'm going to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2 as we'll get there in just a moment. And uh, I want to appreciate uh, the, the praise team and the worship and just a lot of work that goes into letting us gather together this morning and to worship our great Savior. Now we are starting a new series today. Uh, called Hallmarks of Hallmark. And when we talk about this, honestly, um, we went through these four core values in September. So in September of this past year, we celebrated our 75th anniversary as a church. And uh, that was kind of our introduction of these four core values. The truth is, though, that uh, all of these four core values may be reworded or restated or condensed, the reality is, when I look back at the history of Hallmark, we celebrated 75 years this last year in existence. And I believe, as I studied the history of our church, that this has always been the four core values of Hallmark. This is who we are. This is the DNA of Hallmark. It's not something new. It's just maybe reworded or refocused. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I serve at a church that has a history a legacy of values, that they are, in fact, biblically driven, that the church, in fact, not only is biblically driven, I, I think that's kind of the foundational value of the core values, that if we are, in fact, as individuals, as a church, if we live lives that are biblically driven, it will lead us into the other three things. It will lead us to be outwardly focused. It will lead us to be radically generous. It will lead us to be outwardly focused. And today we're going to talk about outwardly focused, all right, one of those core values. But before we get into that, I just want to share with you uh, something you already know. It's just a reminder of what the vision and the mission of the church is. Jesus gave us the mission of the church. There's not really negotiable. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's the mission of the Church And the church is just anyone who's a follower of Jesus. You're part of the church. You're part of the body of Christ. And Jesus said that your mission, not the pastor's mission, not the deacon's mission, not the student pastor's mission, the mission of the church, followers of Jesus, is to make disciples of all people. I love the definition that Dr. Tony Evans gives about disciple. It's on the screen. What is a disciple? A visible and verbal follower of Jesus. That's the mission of the church. Now, when we kind of focus a little bit on well, what's the vision of Hallmark, what is our vision? How are we going to fulfill the mission? And we've phrased this very simply to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And we think about those two words, find and follow Jesus. There's more than just two interesting words that start with the letter F. Right? Find really speaks to evangelism, that as it says on the screen, sharing the gospel by public preaching and personal 
witness. Like it's important for me as the pastor of the church or anyone who comes up here to preach from this platform to proclaim the name of Jesus. That's the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God except through Jesus. That's what our responsibility as a church is to proclaim from this platform. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? But it's not, this is not the only place that's supposed to happen, right? It's not only public preaching, but it's personal witness. And the truth is, if the only time I present the gospel is when I proclaim it on the platform, then I'm a failure. Didn't expect me to hear, hear that today, did you? But that's the truth. It has to go beyond the platform. It has to go beyond the doors that, that it's you. The Bible says that as a church staff, as a pastor, we are to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's personal witness. Follow simply means discipleship, right? That's the equipping of believers to faithfully follow Jesus. And I'm thankful. That's what this church has been about for 75 years. It's not something we've recreated. It's not something that we just come up with. This is what this church has always been about. Personal evangelism. Reaching the lost for Christ. In fact, as I was thinking this morning, um, well, I'm going to save that for later, all right? Get ahead of my notes. Our core values, what do they mean? Well, they direct our decisions. We've said this when we think about biblically driven. That as a church, then I, I, I think you also have to apply this to yourself, that as an individual, I'm not going to adjust my, I'm not going to adjust the Bible to fit culture, right? We're, we're going to adjust our lives to the Bible. The Bible directs what I do. The Bible directs what we as a church do. We are biblically driven. When I think about the history of the church, and some of you are new and it might be your first Sunday here. Some of you have been here way longer than I have been here. I've been blessed to be a part of this church. I joined this church just over 25 years ago in 1997, October of 1997. And I was two years old at the time. I was 24 at the time, so you can do the math. This year, I'm going to turn 50. That just blows my mind. I'm going to turn 50, and we're going to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. If that don't say old, I don't know what does. Yeah, you, you could clap for joy. She deserves a hand for sure. But in 1947, when this church started, this church started out as Faith Baptist Church. Did you know that? Some of you did. A few years later, they outgrew their space on 7th Avenue, and they moved to Morningside Drive, and they renamed the church, shocker, to Morningside Drive. They outgrew that space, and a few years later, they moved a few more miles south on I-35 between Sycamore School Road, 7300 South Freeway. How I remember that address, I don't know. Well, used to, I don't know, you guys younger won't know this, used to have these white things, and you would put an address at the top, Hallmark, 7300 South Freeway, then you put a letter in it, and you would mail that. How many of you remember doing that, all right? 
I guess that's how I remember the address. But they moved, they relocated again, they built a new building and they changed the name from Morningside to Hallmark. And several years later in the 90s, they bought property on 4201 West Risinger Road and they relocated and spent from 1998 to 2009 building all these buildings. And I think about the history of the church and I think about the decisions that were made in the church and I think what drove those people to make those decisions? And I believe it's, it's what you see on the screen. That these four values are what drove every single decision. I can only imagine. I, I went back this week and listened to uh, Pastor Ed Walls, who uh, was the pastor here. He's the one that led the church to buy the property in 1992. And I remember him saying that we had, tw- uh, well, he said 19 men in a room. He's not from Texas, so he was kind of dogging on Texas. I didn't like that part. But he said we were all in agreement to buy the property and relocate. Why? So they could lead more people to find and follow Jesus. And every step, every move, every change, I assume, came with some conflict. Because if you're like me, I don't like change. How many of you don't like change? Like literally, I don't even like change in my pocket, but I don't like change in general. I did not realize how um, scheduled and routine I was and how quickly my schedule until, so Joy and I, if you don't know, we are empty nesters. It's a great season of life. I loved my kids when they were kids. I still love them. I love them being somewhere else. And I didn't realize that. They went off to college. They come back this Christmas. And I love them in my house. But, well, it's not really in my notes either. But I realized how structured I am, how routine I am. One, this is a side um, benefit for those of you who are in the stage of raising kids, especially teenagers. Here's what I didn't even think about. Since they have left home, I have not lost a phone charger <laughs> in six years. I thought I was the one misplacing them all these years, right? Like, I know when I go to my desk at home, there it is. Oh, it's still there. I plugged it in. When I go to my bed, oh, there it is. I can plug it in. I never have to look for a phone charger again. Praise God. So I'm just assuming that in all these years and all these changes that there were some conflict. The reality is I've been a part of a lot of those changes and I've seen a lot of the conflict. But it's okay. Conflict in itself is not really that bad. It leads us somewhere to some place. But what I have seen over the last 25 years in just my experience is that when we look at these core values, and we really hone in on those core values, then sometimes that change that comes is is acceptable. Right? Maybe not preferred, and that's okay, but it's acceptable. If, If our core values drive us, And I think back to 1947 and 48, 49 is when they moved and relocated. I think what would have happened if they hadn't really honed in on their core values and said, this is who we are as a church. And because this is who we are as a church, we're going to move forward. We're going to make the changes necessary. I wonder where that church would be today. If I were to guess, 
based on all the study I've done, if they had never moved from 7th Avenue, they wouldn't be in existence. We wouldn't be here. Uh, Morgan McKnight was standing here singing just a moment ago. Morgan's maybe a year or two older than me. We won't say too much older. And you know what? Morgan came to this church as a young kid, I think. Been here forever. Longer than 25 years. And he was a part of the board as a young adult when we were over on the freeway. You know what he always tells me? I was amazed at the faith of the older generation because many of them gave to a property and to a building they would never see. Amazing faith. But what, what, what drives that kind of faith? It's the core values. We're gonna, we're gonna make decisions based on what is our DNA? Who are we as a church? Mark chapter 2, outwardly focused. Let me, as you turn there, you, you should be there. I gave you like 10 minutes. That was way longer than it was supposed to be. I'm going to read a few quotes for you. If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. Soak on that for a moment. The gospel came to you on the way to someone else. I'm, I'm afraid that in my life sometimes... It stopped with me. God was, it says was missional. I should have changed that word to is. <laughs> he was and he is missional. And he expects his followers to be missional. Outwardly focused. When I think of, you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a, some of you grew up in Sunday school, and a wee little man was he, right? Like, and as the Savior passed that by, right, and he looked up into the tree, what did Jesus say to him? Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your, how many times have we seen that? Three times, I think. What an awesome story. But then the church people got involved. And they said, oh, Jesus isn't too smart. He doesn't know that Zacchaeus is one of those people. He's a sinner. What did Jesus say to him in Luke 19.10? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his answer to the church people who didn't like what he was doing. And I wonder what, mo what motivated Jesus to call Zacchaeus down from the tree? What motivated the good shepherd in Luke chapter 15 to go after the one? What motivated the father to stand on the porch waiting for his son to come home? What motivated Jesus to come to the earth in the first place? One word, love. For God so loved the world that he gives his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Love. Love motivates us to do crazy things, doesn't it? Do you remember when you first, those of you who are blessed enough to have a wife, do you remember when you first fell in love and some of the crazy things you used to do? 
I got quiet. <laughs> Love. Love's our motivation to be outwardly focused. It was the motivation for Jesus to be outwardly focused. Mark chapter 2. You were wondering if I would ever get there. Verse number 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. This is Jesus in the house. Most people would think, theologians think he was in Peter's house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. He preached the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which he was the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, oh, I want to have that kind of faith. The faith that leads me to action, that leads others to salvation. Let me, let me say that again. When Jesus saw their faith, and oh, I want to have that kind of faith. The faith that leads me to action, that leads others to salvation. Remember what James said, faith without works is dead. I want my faith to be alive and living, and I want, I want faith to lead me to action, and I want that action to lead others to salvation. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, excuse me, verse 5, when they saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, and some of the scribes were sitting and reading their hearts. There's always the naysayers, right? Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's true, which means Jesus was Who? God. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, Jesus says, but that you may know that the son of man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bread, go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went into the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What a powerful story. I love this story. In fact, probably this passage of Scripture, when I was a student pastor here at Hallmark, anytime I got invited by one of our students to go to FCA, I would almost always speak on this passage. Because I love the lessons that we can learn from this. I'm going to give you three quick lessons out of this passage. From the lessons from the friends. The first is this. They realize people need Jesus. They realize that people need Jesus. And they got their focus off themselves. And they just want to, they want to bring their friend to Jesus at all cost. We've been sharing this statistic for quite, well, since, at least since September, maybe before. There are 200,000 people that live within five-mile radius of this church, our community. You know that only 30% of Americans claim to be born-again believers, followers of Jesus? Which means that 140,000 people who live within a five-mile radius of this church don't know Jesus. And in case there's any doubt of what that means, if, if they die not knowing Jesus... What we believe the Bible says is they will spend an eternity in a place called hell, paying for their sins. Let that sink in for a moment. 140,000. 
the impact that this church could have on that number. I, I, I want this church to impact that number. The reality is that number is, doesn't really represent us. I live seven miles from the church. The circle gets bigger. Some of you live eight, nine, 10, 15 miles from this church. Who's in your community? Who's in your neighborhood? Who's at your work? Who's in school with you? What are the parents are on your kids' sports team? That number is small. There's a lot of people that need Jesus. The first thing we gotta do is see the need. And I'm thankful these four men saw the need. Do you realize that this generation, the generation from 18 to 29, which represents my kids, My daughter is 22. My son-in-law is 22. My son is 25. And you know in that generation, only 2% follow Jesus. 2%. 98% of 18 to 29 year olds don't know Jesus. Does that speak to your heart a little bit? It does mine. Two percent is the number that the experts place on an unreached people group. What that means is that in America, we have one of the largest unreached people groups right here. Number two, realize people need Jesus. Number two, become personally involved. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic sons, son, your sins are forgiven. I want that kind of faith. You know, we have, and this is what I love about Hallmark, is that we have a generation, several generations of people who, who have lived this out. We, you know, we have two uh, young men on our staff that have been, been blessed generationally by this church. When I think of uh, Jeremy McLemore, I, I didn't realize this just until a few weeks ago, I was preaching Betty Ward's funeral. And I was reading through some of the notes that I found uh, up in a file about Joe and Betty. Do you know Joe and Betty Ward, along with Jerry Crumpton, started the first Hallmark Kids Ministry? I didn't know that. And you know what? Jerry Crumpton is Jerry McLemore's granddad. And I think... I wonder what people thought in 1950-whatever when we said, we're going to have a kid's church. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I assume like every other church, when something new happens, somebody didn't like it. But, oh, I'm thankful for 
Jerry, thankful for the wards, who said, we need, to, we need to have something for kids. We need to teach kids to find and follow Jesus. And here, how many years later, the grandson serves on this church staff. I love having that kind of legacy, don't you? Doesn't that speak to you? I think of Nathan Parikh. And Nathan is our discipleship pastor. Do you know that there was a member of Hallmark that happened to be in a stereo store getting car stereos, a car stereo for his van because he was traveling as a missionary? Some church decided, Bruce, you need, you need better speakers because your kids are loud and annoying or something. I don't know. Bruce walks into a stereo store in Houston, Texas, meets a man who hasn't been here in the country from India very long, named Bob Parikh. He shares the gospel with him. Bob gives his life to Christ. Would go to Bible college, become a pastor, and now his son is our discipleship pastor. I'm thankful for a legacy of a church that is personally involved, that is outwardly focused, that is radically generous. All of that because the foundation were biblically driven. Become involved. Number three, remove barriers. Listen to this statement. This is from the book, Lead Like It Matters. It says the roofs on these homes, all right? So they, they show up, the church, or, or, excuse me, the house, the house church, really. Jesus is preaching um, and, and a crowd shows up, like, because it says in the text, he came back. Like he's already done this. The crowd shows up and they're trying to get their friend to Jesus, but they can't get in. The crowd is too big. They're carrying him. So what do they do? I don't know who it was, but somebody said, I got, I got an idea. I've got three friends that I hang out with sometimes. And when someone says, I got an idea, it's usually not good. <laughs> I got this picture that we took yesterday with, or I guess it was the day before with Steve and Bruce and Andrew. And if I'm with them three guys, and especially if, if Bruce says, I got an idea, the best thing to do is walk away. Somebody said, I got an idea. Let's go on the roof. This description here. The roofs on these homes typically were flat with beams about three feet apart. The gaps between the beams, they didn't have sheetrock, by the way, or shingles, or plywood. The gaps between these beams were covered with brush and clay and packed with manure. Sounds fun, doesn't it? And what do these four men do? They dig through the, the manure. I thought about it. They had to remove at least one or two beams and they lowered him down. And I want to have that kind of faith that leads me to action, that leads to someone's salvation. The easiest thing for the four men to do was to turn around. They tore somebody's house up. 
to get their friend to Jesus. We need to realize people need Jesus. We need to be involved personally. And we need to remove barriers that keep people from Jesus. You see, love overcomes obstacles. And love removes barriers. You know, as a, as a church staff and as a board, for the last four years, we've been wrestling with this. What does it mean for Hallmark to truly be outwardly focused? What are we willing to do to be more personally involved and to remove barriers so someone can find Jesus? And you know what we've decided as a church board? That the biggest barrier keeping people from Jesus, well, I shouldn't say the biggest. The biggest barrier keeping people from Jesus is us. It's me and you. People aren't going to know about Jesus unless you tell them. Can you say amen to that? God put you in your community. God put you in your work. God put you in your school. God put you on that, that team because he wants you to be a witness. So if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to point the finger at myself. The biggest barrier for people knowing Jesus is me. I want everyone to get, get your finger out. This one, okay? And I want you to point it at yourself and say, it's me. Say it again with some conviction. It's me. It would have been easier, to, I know, to say it's you. You guys would have been all about that. But really, the other barrier is the word Baptist. Do you realize that what Lifeway says from their research that 43% of people who drive by a Baptist church, if the sign says Baptist, they don't feel like they're welcomed here and they won't come in. 43%. That means out of the 140,000 people that don't need Jesus, that don't know Jesus, 86,000 of them don't even think they could come here. I've been reading these statistics for at least four years. We've been talking about this in our board meetings for four years. We've been praying about this for four years. And statistics sometimes are just numbers, right? On the uh, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I was in the gym playing basketball. And I was, my team was good. We were winning. Some kid walked in without a shirt, visibly distressed on his face. He sat down on the little stairs there by the, the court. And somebody came over to me and said, hey, you need to go talk to that guy. Well, you go talk to that guy. <laughs> they already had. They knew, what his, they knew what the situation was. So I went over and I sat down and talked to him. 17-year-old kid. Named Ishmael. He just got in a fight with his parents. He's wearing sweats, no shirt. Didn't even, I'll tell you how bad it must have been. He didn't even leave with his phone. We borrow somebody's phone. 
Let's sit and talk to him a little bit, find out a little bit about him. Goes to school in Arlington. Actually probably going to get a scholarship to play D1 football. And I said, you go to church anywhere? Said, yeah, I go to church in Arlington. I said, well, we, we're right here. You can walk to our church. I said, every Wednesday night, we have a student minister that meets right, right behind this building. You ought to come visit sometime. And you know what he said to me? I can't come. I said, why? He said, you're Baptist. And I'm Catholic. Oh. So it's not just a st- statistic. It's a person. This 17-year-old kid because our sign said Baptist, didn't think he was welcomed here. And I, I think God gave me that experience to give me the resolve to say, this is the right thing. If the name Baptist keeps people from coming to Jesus, well, we shouldn't hold on to it so tightly. So for the last few years, we've been praying about it and considering and thinking and I'm thankful, as I mentioned, Jeremy and Nathan. Well, I threw those glasses. That was a good catch. And they've, they've created this new logo. So I want to show you this logo and kind of explain it to you, right? Okay, and just to understand what this, this means. All right, so as you can see, Hallmark Church. And as you see these four arrows, really they're arrows pointing out, it speaks to our, our DNA, doesn't it? We're outwardly focused. We want to reach people with Christ. We, we want to be going to them. It also speaks that there's, there's four openings in that broken box, right? What does that mean? That means we're, we want everyone to come. Everyone's welcomed. We don't care your background. You don't have to fix yourself to come in. We want, we want you to come in so we can introduce you to Jesus. And I'm thankful that, that this, that, the reality is, that's the DNA of this church for 75 years. If that was not the DNA of this church, I promise you we would not be on this property right now. We would not be sitting in this amazing sanctuary if the people before us had not said, you know what, we are going to focus on the lost. We're going to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those 17-year-old Ishmael kids, we're going after them. We're going to be personally involved. So, again, there's, there's four arrows, and they speak to our four core values, right? We're going to be biblically driven, personally involved, radically generous, and outwardly focused. And on December the 13th, after discussing and praying for 20, or for four years, 20, I don't know where that came from, for four years, the board members of this church voted unanimously, 100%, to drop the name Baptist. From the sign, from the logo, but not from our DNA. We're still Baptist. And, and in your connect group, some of you have already been connect group. You already got this brochure. Some of you will get this in your connect group. And you're going to have a board member in your connect group that's going to explain this a little more to you, kind of the process of how we got to this. Some of them are going to explain to you then the statistics that I've just shared with you. But there's five questions that they're going to go over with you. And I want to just read the last two. Some of you have it already. 
so you can look at it. Don't feel left out. You're going to get one if you go to Connect Group. Here's, here's, I think, probably one of the biggest questions. Are we still going to be Baptist? Absolutely. A name will never change our message or our doctrine. Can you say amen to that? We will still be clear about our beliefs and we will continue to be biblically driven. Can you say amen to that? What will not change as a result of the update? Doctrinally, nothing is changing. Our bylaws, our constitution are not changing. Our mission to lead people to find and follow Jesus is not changing. Our commitment to the local and international missions is not changing. Can you say amen to that? Before I came in here this morning, me and another board member and Jim Ader, we were in the Builders Connect group. And if you don't know what the Builders Connect group is, it's the, the most seasoned generation of our church. It's very interesting that as I walked in there, we were uh, singing and someone sang a special. And I looked back and I just kind of looked at all the, the faces in the crowd. And I realized that every single person in that room except for one, I had taught their grandkids in student ministry. I love those people. That's why I wanted to tell them, this is what we're doing. This is why. And I love you, and I hope you still love me. And I asked for, I asked for permission for two quotes after we met this morning. Betty Johns raised her hand, said, I don't have a question, but can I say something? And honestly, Betty, I was a little nervous. <laughs> you know what she said? And I quote, if we take Baptist off the name and it brings one person into the church and receive Jesus, it's worth it. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. And then Juanita Irwin raised her hand. Can I say something? And she said, the minute Daryl got up, it wasn't me, it was Daryl. The minute Daryl got up, she said, God gave me peace. She said, if you as a board have been praying about this for four years, I'm okay. And then she said, this was after when I had a private conversation. She said, we're not going to be Baptists in heaven. We're just going to be with Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And I'm thankful for that. I want to say I'm thankful for the leadership of this church. Because four years ago, not everyone was okay with this. And the truth is, some of you sitting here, this is the first time you're hearing this, you're kind of like, oh, there's emotion attached to it. And that's for sure. Some are going to be angry and frustrated and sad and scared and all the above. And that's okay. I understand we've had four years to process it and you're hearing it, you know, for this 40 minutes. I get it. And that's why we're, we're going to have an, a, a board member in your connect group. They're going to walk you through this, some of the process. They're going to tell you their own story. Because some of them were not on board for it. And some of them it took three years. That's okay. But... 
I, I want to, I just want to say thank you. And I'm going to ask if all of our current board members, I know some are in kids ministry right now, but if you're in here and you're, you're serving as a board member, member, would you stand up? Just stand up. Could we, could we thank them for their leadership? And I, I want everybody to stand. Would, would you stand and join them? And as you stand, I know Stefan and the worship team are going to come. But I want to read a passage of scripture before we, we uh, end the service in worship. John 17. This is the prayer of Jesus. John 17, 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone. And here's where the prayer shifts to us. Like Jesus is praying 2,000 years ago for us as individuals, for us as a church, for us as followers of Jesus. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you father in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the find, we wanna lead people to find, that they may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I was given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you today and we acknowledge that this is your church. Lord, we acknowledge and we, we are thankful this morning for the prayer of Jesus that we would be one, that as a church we would continue the legacy of being biblically driven, personally involved, radically generous, and outwardly focused. And I pray this decision does one thing, and that is that it shifts each of our hearts to your heart, to be outwardly focused, to reach the lost, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we just wanna worship you through music, through prayer. We thank you for Christ. And I, I, I thank you, Lord, for the generation in this church that has given, sacrificed, and led well. And I pray for the next generation that follows us, where they will take the mantle and they will pursue people passionately.